Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Leading in a Crisis podcast. On this podcast, we talk about all things crisis management with a focus on crisis leadership. And we deliver that through interviews, storytelling, and lessons learned from experienced crisis leaders. I'm Tom Mueller. With me is my trusty co-host, Mark Mullen, who joins us from the beautiful Bellingham, Washington. Mark, hi again. Hello, Tom. Happy to be here. On our episode today, we're continuing our conversation with Kathy Leach, a brand and marketing expert and a longtime colleague. As we pick up this episode, we've been discussing the challenges of managing a brand in crisis, and we're focusing right now on the recent Bud Light incident, as well as the more historical Gulf of Mexico oil spill from 2010, both of which have lessons to offer us around how to manage a brand going through crisis. Let's rejoin the conversation with Kathy now. My name is Kathy Leach. I'm a marketer who specializes in corporate brand reputation management. I was at BP before, during, and after the Gulf oil spill. I've also worked at Comcast managing its corporate brand reputation. My partner and I have a marketing consulting firm called Brand Insights. We work with companies to uncover consumer insights and turn them into actionable activities. Kathy, you you talked earlier just a, a bit about you know having a coordination between your brand team, your PR team, uh, advertising uh, when you're launching a new program. How about when you're in the middle of a crisis situation like this? You know, and, and when you get into these larger ones like the big oil spill, it's so complex. How do you sort of get everybody on the same page and and find a cohesive path forward? We um, ended up managing the um, the communications, um, the integrated communications for the, the Gulf oil spill from a war room in Houston. And I freely admit, initially, I was not a fan. I had a 10-month-old at home in Chicago, which is a long way from, from Houston. But the first time I walked into the room and there was a table of, for you guys from the press, there was a table for... Um, advertising and research. There was a table for social media and for digital. And we were all, you know, within arm's length of each other. And I just looked at it and I thought, you know what, this is exactly the way it needs to be. And so there's incredible coordination that's required in the midst of a um, an event like that. And putting everyone together where they can feel like a team, create messages from the same, you know, this, the same place, um, coordinate their responses. I don't think you can respond to a crisis in any other way at this point. I, I just think the benefits are so enormous in the, in both the coordination and in the, the teamwork and fellowship that makes it work even better. One of the, the challenges that you have in situations like this is you're pulling in third-party contractors to help with manpower needs or just, you know, sort of higher order thinking needs, right? And oftentimes there's a lot of value in bringing in a third party to help uh, just get your mind out of the crisis zone and, and into broader thinking about your stakeholders and their concerns, their issues, so how did how does that work in your view, Kathy? And is there any downside to that? Well, we certainly did that at scale, scale um, during the the oil spill. We we at one point I think had fifty thousand people working on the response in the Gulf, 
And we pulled people from all over the world, employees all over the world, but that was still not enough. So we had to bring in contractors and, and firms. And I, I can really only speak to, to the advertising response. And we actually brought in an additional advertising agency to help. And the initial is is challenging because A, you're in the middle of a crisis already, but B, these folks were completely new, didn't understand the brand, didn't understand BP's values. You know, we're all working at a thousand miles an hour trying to respond to things that are happening every minute. And so it takes a, a while for everything to settle down, for people to begin to act in a in a team-like manner, for people to feel like they're on the same team. And I think one of the things we did early on was to be clear about roles and responsibilities. And so our existing agency, we had them start thinking long-term and strategically. And the new agency was then focused on the, the rapid response, which was their real ability. And once we clarified roles and responsibilities, and once we'd spent you know, weeks and weeks and weeks with each other, hours upon hours, I think it became easier. I think the other watch out for me, though, is when you have a crisis of that magnitude, there are some individuals and some companies that come in and see the dollar signs and get very excited. And if I were to ever be in that situation again, I would ramp up our procurement team much more quickly um, and set them in with the rest of the, the response and have them review contracts and and at speed, of course. But I do think that some of the some of the compensation was well out of line with what it should have been. Yeah, that's always a challenge in a crisis situation because, you know, companies will throw a lot of money out there to to respond and to get things happening quickly. But uh, it's not the most efficient use of resources. And when you're scaling up a response uh, for a large incident, you're bringing people on, boy, you get far ahead of your procurement people right. and and that. And it can be a, a huge, a huge challenge. And there's there's similar related issues around scaling up that I saw during that time period, Kathy, outside of what you've described. Uh, and that's where we were taking on, you know, lots of new people regularly. We didn't have our known trusted staff to put in management positions so that we had our team sort of leading and all those contractors filling in beneath our trusted staff. So we just didn't have enough people to fill all those positions. So we ended up with many contractors in those leadership positions. And even if you get one large agency in there, you can actually get parallel lines of communication happening within the same response. And there then becomes a bit of a competition between the company channel, the PR agency channel for information. And that's uh, that's something that we saw during that big spill. And it's something that companies need to be mindful of if they have to scale up for a large incident. No, I completely agree. I, I reflect back on, you know, again, the, the brand itself was only 10 years old, but because perhaps because it was so new, all of our people were really operating from the same culture, from the same beliefs um, series. And it's the reason that 
We could send folks, for instance, who had absolutely no experience with running a community center, because that's not what oil companies do, but they could go out into the into the uh, Gulf and, and run a community center in a way that felt very BP-like. The issue when you bring in all these contractors is that they don't have that DNA. They don't have that brand. They don't have a sense of, well, this is how BP would operate there. And and that is, you're right, it's a real challenge for, for people to manage and also to make sure that their actions are consistent with the way that the BP culture would, would want it to be. Can I go back to, you were talking about um, how one of the core issues with Bud Light was that there was never analysis up front about, are we, are we touching any hot buttons here we should stay away from and so on. Um, a typical response has BP, for example, is first we have a crisis, then we have recovery, then we have the ongoing rebuilding our corporate brand. Um, it sounds like with with Bud Light, it almost had to go the other way, that they were busy trying to build a corporate brand, had a misstep, and suddenly fell back onto crisis response communications. Um does that work gracefully or is that just sort of it goes so much against the normal way of doing things? You know, I think where their mistake was, was in their response. And so, you know, the cat was out of the bag. The promotion was out there. This is when you lean, lean on your corporate values and you have to act in act consistently with those corporate values. And I think the response back was so wishy-washy. It was, you know, you couldn't tell where they actually stood. And rather than people going, oh, okay, I'm not sure if they're, they're that's bad or good, people were like, well, that's clearly not good, so it must be bad on both sides of the issue. And um, I think that's where having really clear brand values uh, from even from a corporate perspective are is important. It's it's a lot easier when you're BP and you're not a house of brands the way that Anheuser Busch is. Um, BP's corporate brand was very much similar to their retail brand, and um, you know it was all the same set of values. When it's a house of brands, and and Anheuser Busch probably has a hundred brands, it, it's a bit more challenging. The antidote to that really is something that we did um, during the response, which is research, research, research. And so we had focus groups every week in the Gulf and in DC. We were running tracking every week. We did go uh, Google searches. We looked at Facebook. We knew pretty much what the hot button issues were. And we were able to feed those back to the PR team to say, look, everyone's asking about, you know, X, Y, Z. Can you make sure in the next press release that that is addressed? I wonder if Bud had, or if, if Anheuser-Busch had done that level of search to say, here's what people are saying. And here's the issues you're going to have to address. And I don't know. I have no, you know, obviously no internal um, knowledge of that. But certainly one of the ways to help to have an appropriate response is is information. I mean, information is power in that in that circumstance. How quickly would you bring a marketer into a response and how quickly would you bring a uh, response communicator into a marketing review? I've been lucky enough to be a marketer working with PR folks and a marketer working within a PRA department. And I would say that there is an artificial and unnecessary distance between those two disciplines and that there is enormous learning that both can take from each other. 
I would posit that CMOs these days really need to be thinking about having both together. Maybe not in the same department, if, but ideally they should be in the same department. They have different skills. They have different knowledge bases that are hugely complementary. Um, and so to answer your question, I would have them both from the very beginning. Ah, uh, in an ideal world, that would work, wouldn't it? Yes. And I think it's more so than it used to be. You know, I I think about when I started um, in marketing, the PR team, we would just bring in, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing a uh, promotion, get me some press. And similarly, the, the press team would be, you know, equally dismissive of the marketing folks and just think they're <laughs> all about products and, you know, they don't know about <laughs> strategic communications. But the reality is that it's really a one plus one equals five situation. And if it's not one plus one, then you're really getting into some issues where each discipline has blind spots that the other compensates for. To touch back briefly, Kathy, on the research issue that you you mentioned before, because research really does sort of underpin a lot of what happens in brand and advertising. And in a in a situation like this where you've got a red hot issue, company in crisis, you know, how what's the the trick to sort of getting good data, good research when you're in that situation? What's what have you learned through your experience? Well, we had the ability to invest in research and we had um, a lot of research tracking already in place so that we were able to just increase the frequency of that. But I would say even just doing desk research on Google, what are the, the key search terms that are coming up for a particular issue, checking social media, watching what's happening on YouTube, all of that will give you information that's absolutely critical. But I would say for any any corporation, any brand, if you're doing promotions or communications, you better be doing research as well, because otherwise you don't know if what you're doing is helping or hurting. Sounds like you need to have a political analyst out there somewhere too to catch those just completely unforeseen hot buttons that have nothing to do with your brand. I think that's where having trusted advisors, where you can sort of chat with them. But I honestly believe that you can prepare and you can certainly mitigate you know, many of these issues, but there is going to be something that catches you at some point. There's going to be something that comes so far out of left field that you're going to be left going, what the heck? I could never have predicted that. And then it's all about how do you respond? And I go back to, if you're really clear on your brand and your company and what it stands for, then that response has to be consistent with that. Otherwise, you're inauthentic. And that's at the end of the day, I think what has hurt and has a bush the most. Kathy, we talk a lot about uh, crisis exercises and the value of that. Should we be conducting brand crisis exercises as well, just to sort of prepare for incidents like we're talking about? This is another one where brand and PR should be playing together. And I think get, game playing this, as you've done you know, many times in your career, where you you could use, for instance, the, the Bud Light situation as an exercise and try and role play how that would work, how you would respond as a company. I think that would be enormously valuable. Well, it goes back to what you suggested, Kathy, when 
PR and marketing need to know each other, exist, and respect each other. And so, Tom, you know, ICS for ICS will never include that, um, but certainly a, an organ, a company who's doing an exercise that may be a great opportunity. To let the PR people meet the marketers, and when you get to a recovery communications plan, you also they develop a recovery marketing plan or whatever you call it, and they learn how they have to work together. Yeah, I think that's a really good point uh, because in you know in most of the exercises I've been involved with over my career, I remember once or twice maybe when the brand team was involved with those. It's just not a natural connection we make across the corporate structure, uh, but it is something that would be there'd be a lot of value for all the teams to do that. I think the other thing that that would do is. Um, bring to light the organizational barriers. You know, it it really, the Gulf response showed how widely apart the PR teams and the brand teams were organizationally and how far up the organizational change you had to go in order for them to connect. And I think that might be a cautionary tale. And, you know, maybe it's not you change your reporting structure, but maybe there's a a council of communicators that meets once a quarter and, and exchanges news and views. It's not an if, it's a when crisis hits that people know each other and are comfortable responding together and that there's trust. And maybe you could just have uh, late afternoon get togethers over Bud Light, just to remind everyone. <laughs> or Modelo. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, uh, hey, it's been just a joy catching up with you again and really, really appreciate your insights into uh, some of these, you know, how companies can deal with a crisis and leverage their brand and, and marketing teams in order to respond well to that. So thank you very much for, for joining us. And I hope you'll come back and, and join us again soon. Thank you so much, Tom and, and Mark as well. It's been a, a wonderful um, experience connecting back with you two as well. And I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Yes, thank you, Kathy. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Leading in a Crisis podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, please like and subscribe to the podcast and give us a, give us a five-star rating. And please tell your friends and colleagues about us as well. We'll see you again for another episode of the Leading in a Crisis podcast. Mm-hmm.